So Jeremy and I are talking about the big story uh, that holds together all the little stories of the Bible. We're focusing on the biggest themes uh, of this big story of the Bible. And so today we're going to go to the promised land and talk about the promised land. And there are many, many ways to approach this topic. There are many, many issues uh, related to it that we could explore. But I've only got 20 minutes, so I've got to decide what I'm going to do. Let me start this way. This is a used iPhone. I bought it used because I'm too cheap to buy a new one. In fact, the last four iPhones I've owned, I bought used. Because as I just mentioned, I'm too cheap to buy a new one. I'm driving a car that I bought used. Again, see previous comment. There is a, there is a thriving market in used iPhones. There's a thriving, thriving, thriving market in used cars. You know what? There's not a thriving market for used toothbrushes. Yeah, I don't know. You can't buy, I mean, maybe you can, but uh, nobody will buy used toothbrushes. Why is that? Some things, you need them to be new. You're not going to want to own them unless they are new. And, and I want you to think about what goes on in the book of Joshua. I want you to think about this whole concept of the promised land in terms of a territory being made new. Because that's part of the deal. That's, that's part of the underlying theology of the promised land. Is that in order for God to use this land, it can't be owned by some other gods. It can't be owned by other spiritual powers. It needs to be made new. It needs to be cleansed. It needs to be uh, restored so that it can be God's alone. So let's talk about this. Again, as Jeremy and I do these topics, we are always, uh, you know, forced to cut down and just look at a few scriptures. There are so many scriptures that relate to these issues. But I, but I picked this one that we had read for our uh, worship uh, scripture reading this morning. The first verses of Joshua, uh, the first chapter, verses 1 through 9. It's a, it's a crisis in Israel because Moses had been the leader of Israel for the entire lifetime of everybody that's an Israelite except for two other guys. Except for two other guys, Joshua and Caleb. Everybody else was born during the wilderness wandering, born during the time uh, that Moses was the leader of the people. And now Moses has died. Now what's going to happen? And Joshua, actually, the first several chapters of Joshua, repeat this theme over and over and over again, in which God assures Joshua that he's going to be with him. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready 
to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, desert to Lebanon, and from the great river of the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God says, I've been making this promise for 400 years. I I started with Abraham, your ancestor. I repeated the promise to his descendants, Jacob. I've, I've promised this land. And now the promise is about to be fulfilled. Be strong and courageous. First message about the land is the promised land is a grant from God. The promised land is a grant from God. Over and over again, this is not just a land that the Israelites happen to find themselves in. This is a gift that's been given to them by God, a a land grant uh, that they're holding on behalf of God. It's not their land It is intended to be God's land. And that has a consequence, which the second half of this passage repeats several times. Because this is a grant from me, this land, then you are to keep my commandments. I revealed myself to Moses. He gave you my commandments. Don't turn to the left. Don't turn to the right. Meditate day and night on the commandments that I gave you. The promised land is a grant from God to be used according to God's revealed will. God gives. And He also gives instructions about how to use what He gives. That principle continues to this day. God has given you certain things. Some of those we'll mention a little bit later. And He has given you instructions about how to use what He has given you. I do not believe, I I do believe that God's kingdom has outgrown the physical promised land. I think that was programmed. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But God's people will never outgrow the need for God's revelation. It's not possible. We are always going to need God's commandments to guide our steps. We are not built to be able to guide our own steps without God's revealed will. And so this principle of God's revelation to guide the use of the things that He has given us 
This will never go away. This will be always a part of God's kingdom. God's revealed will. And the reason for that, well, there are several reasons for it, but one is that we live right now. Right now has problems. Right now, I could go around this room and every one of you could list personal challenges that you are facing. And also, every one of you could list national problems that we as a country are facing. These are real problems. They're not fake problems. They are real and they are pressing. And they feel, both our personal problems and our national problems and the problems of the world, feel so overwhelming that if we don't have something solid to hold on to, the problems of the current moment will push and push and push us away from eternal truth. And so we need the principle of God's revealed will in order to continue to call us back to the things that last forever. We need that. That's part of the human condition that we are in. And so, church, we will never outgrow the need to go back to this book. Now, it's not easy to go to this book. I understand that. It takes work. There are many things written herein which are difficult to understand, to paraphrase Peter, talking about Paul. This is a difficult book. Nevertheless, you and I are meant to guide our lives by it. And one of the things I will just brag for a minute on the leadership of Wilshire, the elders of Wilshire, we've had several changes of eldership since I've been here. One thing that has remained consistent, they have told Jeremy and me, we want you guys to stay in the Word. We want you guys expositing the Word of God from the pulpit. We want that over and over and over again. And I appreciate that because that's what I want to do. I think it is crucial for God's people to keep checking back in with the revealed will of God. When we don't do that, we are setting ourselves up. We are... To turn to the left, turn to the right, to, to wander away from what's eternally important. So the first point is that the promised land is a grant from God. It is received as a present, as a uh, place for us to administer, a grant from God, and it's to be used according to God's revealed will. The very end of the book of Joshua, we have another famous passage Joshua 24, verses 13 through 18. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build, and you live in them, and eat from vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorite in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God Himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed these great signs before our eyes. He protected us in our entire journey and among the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in this land. We too will serve the Lord because He is our God. Joshua goes on in that sermon and says, Are you sure? I don't think you can. And they say, Yeah, we can. We totally can. It's a great moment. Israel dedicates themselves to God. It didn't work out as everybody hoped, but it's a great moment to start. The land had to be made new. The land had to have a restart. The land, the promised land, is cleansed. And it's cleansed for a reason. If you're here in the promised land, who are you going to serve? Who's going to rule? Who's going to be king in the promised land? Well, you know, we're in the promised land and everybody here says Baal is king, so maybe we should let Baal be king. They say if you don't worship Baal and Ashtoreth, then your crops won't grow right. Maybe we should let Baal be king and Ashtoreth be queen beside him. Well, God was helpful getting us out of Egypt. We're grateful for that. He was helpful on the journey. We appreciated the manna. But we got it from here. Maybe we can be king here in the land. Nice vineyards. We didn't have to plant. Nice olive trees that are full grown and already bearing off. Things are pretty good. I think we got it from here, God. We'll be king. The answer is this. The land was cleared. It was cleansed. It was repurposed for this reason. It's the whole principle of the promised land. So God can establish His kingdom. The point of the promised land is that God become king in it. We talk about the kingdom of God. You cannot pull apart the concept of the kingdom of God from the concept of the promised land. God's kingdom, a place where on earth God is recognized and honored and obeyed as king. The king he is, I mean, he's actually king everywhere, but he's not recognized everywhere. He's not honored everywhere. He's not obeyed everywhere. And here is meant to be a place where that will begin to happen, the kingdom of God. That's why the promised land is given. That's the plan. What does that mean going forward? Sometimes the Israelites are pretty faithful. They honor God. They obey Him. Sometimes they deviate from that. They refuse to honor God. They honor other entities as if they were God. They disobey the commandments. They oppress the poor just like the nations around them. 
They commit adultery just like the nations around them. They bear the punishment for that, the very punishments that Joshua had them pronounce upon, upon Mount Ebal. Sometimes the Israelites are blessed. Sometimes the Israelites bear the curse of the law. The lesson throughout, good times and bad times, is this is the land that God gave you so that God could be king. God has given you many things, church. God has done many grants and gifts to you. Because God claims you as part of His kingdom. It's an amazing thing to be part of God's kingdom, but you and I are that. God wants you, and He wants us, to be a place where God is honored. God is recognized. And God is obeyed as king. He is king. He is the great king above all kings. But he's not recognized. He's not honored. And he's not obeyed yet as he should be. In this place and in your life, that is what he wants. The story continues. Actually, this theme of the promised land and this theme of the kingdom of God uh, is one that runs all the way through the rest of the Bible and uh, into the New Testament. There were several ways we could tell this story, but I liked uh, the imagery of Psalms, and so I started from there. Psalms 80, verses 8 through 11, talking to God, addressing God. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. Isn't that a great image? It's God as a gardener. You transplanted a vine from Egypt... You drove out the nations and you planted it. You cleared the ground. You made a space where your vine could thrive. You cleared the ground for it and it took root and it filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea. It shoots as far as the river. That's the imagery of this promised land turning into the kingdom of God. The place where God can reign. Things went badly for that kingdom, as we know. Both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom end up being taken out of the land, losing the land. That's a story that Jeremy and I are going to address later on in this series. It's a great crisis and a great tragedy, but the prophets who endured that and the prophets who foresaw that said, God's going to bring you back. The principle of the land and the principle of the kingdom are not done away with just because of the unfaithfulness of Israel. God is going to continue to be faithful to His purposes. And so, for instance, Ezekiel 17, verse 23, On the mountain heights of Israel I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. Different plants, same imagery. Israel, the kingdom of God, is going to be reestablished. It's the same imagery that Jesus picks up on when He's telling, what's the kingdom of God like? How can I compare the kingdom of God to something you'll understand? He said, 
What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. And yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Again, same imagery. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God starts so small that you might not even notice it. But now it's not just the land, the promised land, the borders, the physical territory. It's going to go everywhere. It's going to go everywhere. We can go to other passages to make this same point. We could go to Daniel chapter 2 where... We're told about a rock that's cut, but it's not cut by human hands. And it comes and it smashes the statue that represents all the kingdoms of the world. And then the rock, not cut by human hands, starts to grow. And it grows and it grows and it grows until it becomes this giant mountain that fills not just the land, but the entire earth. We could go to Isaiah chapter 2 and get the same picture. The mountain of Mount Zion, where the temple is, grows and grows and grows until it becomes the highest mountain of the earth. And and not just Israel streams to it, but all the nations come streaming into it. And swords are beaten into plowshares. And death eventually is abolished. There are many other passages we could go to. The Bible even as it's dedicating the land, the physical land of Israel, to God being king, tells an additional message. The kingdom of God is designed from the beginning to outgrow the promised land. From the very beginning, God's plan was to become king in this place, the land of Israel as a staging ground to become king over more and more and more of the world, over more and more and more of the universe. When Jesus Christ comes, the thing that he says is sometimes not even the thing that we preach. Because when Jesus Christ comes preaching his message... He doesn't say, I'm making a path for you to be individually saved. It is true that Jesus did do that. And that is wonderful news. It is gospel. And it's enough to fascinate us. But when Jesus comes, what's his message? What's his message? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. It's right here, right at your hand, right at your fingertips, we would say. It's right here. I'm bringing the kingdom of God now, and through me, it's going to spread and fulfill all the prophecies. It's going to cover the earth. That means that God has to make the world new. If God is going to be king, and it's through Jesus Christ that God is going to be king over the entire universe, then God has to make the entire universe new again. 
There will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth. The kingdom of God will spread. Right now, church, you are the new Israel. You are the kingdom of God. But, the, but you also are a staging ground. You are designed to be outgrown. God wants to capture the entire universe. And one day, the entire universe will be purged of all evil, of all wrongdoers, of all those who refuse to acknowledge God. And God will cover everything with His glory and with His majesty and with His power. God has called you to be in His kingdom. God has given you a gift to make it possible for that to happen. Whatever age you were when you became a Christian, if you're a Christian right now, before you became a Christian, you belonged to someone else. There is a power of rebellion in this world. And before you become a Christian, you belong to that power. You may not know it, you may not realize it, but you do. Because of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God, through Jesus Christ, does something amazing to you when you become a Christian. He takes you, He takes your old life, and because you are willing to believe, that is, to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Turn away from the old. Look towards the new. Because you're willing to say with your lips, Jesus Christ is Lord. He takes you and He buries the old you in a grave. And what comes up out of that grave of water is not the old person that belonged to the old master. What comes up out of that water is made new to be part of the kingdom of God. That's the gift that God has given you. And because you are made new and because you are made righteous, God's own breath, God's own spirit can live in you and can live in us. His saved, His baptized believers. His kingdom here on earth. That's the gift that God has given you. If you need to rededicate yourself to that gift in a public way, and you want prayers of the church in a public way, you can come forward in just a second and ask for those prayers. If you need to do that in private, come see me. Come see Jeremy. Come see the elders. Talk to us. Get the help that you need. It may be that you've never taken that step. I don't know what might be holding you back from that step, but please, whatever it is, it is time to step out of your old bondage and into the new life that is offered by God through Jesus Christ. If you need to take that step today to receive baptism, why don't you come as together we stand and sing.